Welcome to the Westside Gathering Podcast, and thanks for making the time to learn and grow with us. Here, you'll find teaching from our live Sunday gatherings. After the message, we'll say a little more about our church and how you can connect. But for now, let's jump right in. So today is Palm Sunday, and it's that uh, first day of Holy Week. Thanks so much, Phil. And um, first day of Holy Week, this week that kicks off what we know as such an important moment in Jesus' life as he heads to the cross. And this day, uh, as Cassie just read, is a unique day. It's a unique scene in the Gospels. It's a transition, actually, in the life and ministry of Jesus. And uh, it, it, it feels like an exciting welcome, you know, like he's walking and they throw these cloaks and another version talks about the palms being laid down, palm branches. It feels like an exciting welcome and celebration, but it's also a shift that's taking place. And the shift that's happening in his journey is this official shift towards the cross. I mean, right from Jesus' baptism, he was looking towards the cross. But here it becomes very real, very relevant, very concrete. And it's like this walk that he starts is this door into his final week, this door into Holy Week. Because Jesus is anticipating this day. He's anticipating this moment. He, it's, and, and, and what's happening in this scene and is really a precursor to the climactic moment for him that gets fulfilled you know, for his purpose, for his vocation on the cross. Think about that for a second. Have you ever anticipated a moment, like an open door moment into where you believed you always meant to be? It's like you realize something is coming, something's happening, and you're like, okay, this, this is the door. This is the gate towards this final leg or maybe towards fulfilling my purpose. In a weird way, I kind of, I see that. I, I wanted to be a musician when I was younger, and uh, one of my final kind of like fun scenes in music was playing at the Jazz Fest in 1994. And um, that was the only time I played, by the way, so I'm not popular in any way. Um, and so I played with this wonderful, awesome black gospel choir um, and just overlooking uh, Place des Arts, and the scene there was amazing. But it was a season in my life where I thought music would be my life. So I was like, that was my trajectory. And I played in church and at home and in school and auditoriums and really ugly-smelling practice rooms at Vanier College at the time. <laughs> but then one day, one day, I get to play on the stage of the jazz festival, and I got the token T-shirt and the lanyard. And, uh, hey, here's a room in this hotel you guys can go to and have some pop and snacks and drinks and stuff like that. And there was a sound check, and there was this stage overlooking Place des Arts, and, and it was this climax for me. It was this real, like, moment where I felt like this door into the next stage of music. I never found out what that door led to because I took a turn and started studying theology and that was it. <laughs> but for that moment, it felt like this open gate, this open door into kind of a fulfillment. And you got to consider Jesus. Three years, he's now seriously ministering. Like he was pretty, uh, he wasn't really known before then, but for three years of ministry, it's leading up to this moment and he's entering Jerusalem. Like previous to this moment, he's helping people, healing people, teaching people. He's on some people's radar, not on everybody's radar. He's really on the outskirts of Jerusalem. Uh, you know, for most of his ministry, he's never really in the city. And so you catch him at a wedding, at a town square, on the side of the road with Zacchaeus on a mountain mountainside, in fishing boats, in kitchens, in living rooms. This is where Jesus is up until this moment. But now 
he's making his way into Jerusalem. It's this open door into Jerusalem. For Jesus to be right at the center of the action, right at the center that where for centuries, God, God's people held this place, this city, and this temple for the activity of what God was doing in and through them. Because they were going to be a light to the world. And this city was significant. And so Jesus is on this path. It's like, here I am. I've announced my God's kingdom, but I'm bringing it here into this city. It's an amazing moment. This walk, this moment where people take off their, their jackets, their cloaks, they lay it on the floor. Matthew tells us that, uh, that they, they cut off palm branches and they, they put these palm branches on the floor. And Jesus, I don't know if he sets up this moment or it's like this divine inspiration that someone in the town beside them is like, yeah, yeah, this, this mule is for, uh, for that teacher, that traveling teacher guy. Yes, if you ask, you know, I don't know how it all worked. You know, we don't know all the details behind it, but we understand that Jesus specifically chose this colt, this young donkey for him to enter in. And the disciples are caught up in this moment. It's not just like 12 of them. It's like a multitude of people who are following Jesus, who've been caught up with him and listening to him and, and following him as they throw their cloaks and their palms on the floor and they create this path and it's, they launch this parade. Just this kind of parade in the moment, this path towards Jerusalem and it's all heading there. Jerusalem is really significant. I mean, for the last few weeks, we've been talking about the cities in Revelation, right? This is post the resurrection, and these, are, these were outposts where God would use to reach the world with the message of God's kingdom and the gospel. Well, Jerusalem was a key city. Jerusalem was this key city with this launch pad for God's kingdom. Even when Jesus promises the Holy Spirit, he tells his disciples, it's going to start in Jerusalem. And then it's going to go to Judea and Samaria and the rest of the world. Jerusalem is the key city where this begins. And what's Jesus announcing? He's not announcing some revolution. He's not announcing some military strike. He's not announcing some like, oh, we're going to take Rome down. He's announcing that he is in charge. That the rule and reign of Christ is real and true and active. He's basically announcing his kingdom. And the symbolism wouldn't have been lost on people who would have remembered the story of another king, post-King David, King Solomon, who when he gets prompt, pr promoted as king, he's going down to this city for the announcement, for the procession, and he is also on a donkey, on a mule, on a colt. And it's like, oh, Solomon was David's literal successor. Solomon walked down this, a path. Solomon became king. Man, is this guy, is this teacher, this healer, is he, like, is he announcing what I think he's announcing? Like, is, this is going to be big. And this, the, the, the symbolism wouldn't have been lost on them. And I love this idea that, like, here's Solomon would have been David's literal successor. Jesus is David's ultimate successor. The king of the Jews, the king of the world, God's king. And so the rule and reign of Lord Jesus, of the lordship of Jesus. Eugene Peterson says it like this. He says, Christ lived for this open door to enter Jerusalem and to enter our lives to assert the rule of God over all creation. It's amazing. You know, we're, we're heading up to, leading up to Good Friday, which we reflect on the cross and we take communion and we think about the death of Christ. 
And it's so vital. And then we, we're going to celebrate Easter next week, and we're going to announce and remember and reflect on the, re- on, on the resurrection. Like Good Friday and Easter is where the world, you know, they find forgiveness and they find restoration. And we as well have found it and continue to find it. But this announcement is not bigger than Easter, but it fits, it's the big context that Easter fits into. Because forgiveness and restoration are possible inside the Lordship of Jesus. Inside Jesus' rule and reign. Jesus forgives and restores. But do you know that only as, as followers of Christ, when we really allow him to lead us, do we end up experiencing the fullness of forgiveness, the, the fullness of, of reconciliation, the fullness of transformation? We can, we can adore and embrace and welcome what Christ did already for us. We don't have to do anything. He's done it for us. We can embrace that. We can welcome it. We can celebrate the resurrection. But if we don't in our daily lives say, Jesus, you're leading me, then transformation rarely happens. And this is what's happening in this moment, this, this announcement. Because as Jesus leads us, he shapes our ambitions and he corrects our detours and he provides wisdom. See, when he eventually walks into the temple, uh, when he gets to Jerusalem, he didn't walk into the temple to add energy and say, yes, you guys have been like doing this for centuries. I'm here now. I'm going to provide the money and the resources and all the power for you guys to continue doing what you're doing. No, that's not what Jesus did. When he enters the temple, he enters Jerusalem in the temple to bring fresh vision and change and conviction so they could join what he's doing. So they can join what God's kingdom is about to do. They were hoping that when the Messiah came, it would just give them this boost of, hey, thank you. Thank you for boosting what we're doing. No, no, no. Jesus shows up and he's like, God's kingdom's here. You guys have been like detouring off a little bit. Now you need to get on track with what God is up to. I think we make this common mistake as Christians. And we make this common mistake even when we ask people to follow Jesus or when we ourselves follow Jesus. We, and it's, you know what? It's common because like, it's just, this is what happens in our Western world. We like to add Jesus to our lives so he can fulfill our dreams. That's kind of like in, uh, in the Hindu system where there's multiple gods. There was a missionary that went out there years ago, Leslie Newbegin, and he was preaching Jesus, preaching Jesus. And he's like, I don't get it. Everybody loves Jesus. But they just kind of put them alongside all their other gods. Well, here's my God of fertility. Here's my God of success. Here's my God of family and my God of wealth. And thank you, Jesus. I'm going to prop you up now. With, I'm going to just add you to the collection. <laughs> and we do that in the Western world as well. We want to add Jesus to our lives so he can fulfill our dreams and our ambitions. Oh, if, Jesus can, if I can add Jesus into my life, my family's going to be better. My job's going to be better. I'm going to be better at work. I'm going to make more money. We often like to do that so he can help us achieve our goals. But some of our goals are awesome. Some of our goals, God loves to come behind, but not all of our goals fit into God's kingdom. And none of our goals can compare to the, to the vision of God's kingdom. We don't just add Jesus to our lives. We let him lead. And this, this, this is where the various responses to Jesus' entrance really kind of hit home for us. There's a lot of praise going on, right, as they, they cheer him on and they quote Psalm 118 and, you know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is our king. There's a lot of praise happening as they pull from the Psalms. The Pharisees, there's a lot of protest going on because they're like, really? This is, you know, I don't know if this is kosher. This is the way we're supposed to do things. 
But here's, here's three reactions, and I really got to credit Eugene Peterson for helping me see this, and I'm going to unpack it a little bit differently. But three reactions. The first one is joy. When Jesus came, like when he was walking that path, when they're celebrating, when he's about to enter Jerusalem, one of the reactions to Jesus' lordship is joy because he's amazing. And here's, here's three ways that it's joyful. The first way is this. God, you've welcomed me. Me too. You've welcomed me. I always thought I wasn't welcomed, and now your kingdom is telling me that I can step into, into the life you long for me. That's one of the reasons people have joy when they discover the kingdom of God. It's like the Beatitudes when Jesus stands up and starts to teach everybody, and, and the first thing he lists, you know, these, these seven or eight things, and one of them is like, you know, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will be filled. They will find the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will find joy. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. There's people in the crowds when Jesus is talking like this that have felt that they never fit in, that they were never, could never be part of what God was doing. And here's Jesus saying, blessed are these kind of people and these kind of people and these kind of people. It's like Oprah giving away gifts, you know, in her, in, you know, in her thing. But it, not, well, way better than that. But, um, but these people are like, oh, me too. I'm poor in spirit. I, I can be part of this. I'm meek. I'm mourning. I'm grieving. I'm persecuted. You mean your kingdom is not just for the elite and the great religious leaders? So that's one of the ways joy comes. The other, one of the, the other way that joy comes is when we, when we discover, we say, God, wow, my heart longs for what, is fa- what I just found in your kingdom. I've always longed for justice, and I haven't seen it in my world, but I see it in your kingdom. Wow, that's amazing. God, I've always longed for peace, and the way your kingdom brings peace, I've always longed for that, and I'm finding it. I've always longed for reconciliation, and I could never have seen it achieved, but something has happened. I can see it in your kingdom. I can see it in the work of the cross. I've always longed for forgiveness. So the way joy comes is when our deepest longings as humans, sometimes we see it in God's kingdom. We're like, oh my gosh, I found it. Another way that joy comes is when God, God's kingdom literally rescues us. When we feel so lost and so broken or so oppressed and God's rule defeats that oppression, defeats that obstacle, defeats those enemies, defeats slavery, defeats injustice. Imagine, imagine when slowly over decades this movement, this anti-slavery abolition movement is starting to grow in Britain with William Wilberforce and a few other Christians and believers and it starts to grow and grow and grow. And imagine when... People found freedom and realized that was influenced by the kingdom of God. That brings joy. So his rule, rule is a welcome change from the rule of the world. And those joyful moments in the gospel, right? Zacchaeus has an amazing time with Jesus as, as they spend time together. Lazarus is raised from the dead. The woman at the well is given worth and forgiveness and direction. The blind see, the lame walk, the poor are lifted up. There's joy happening. Ironically, though, not all responses to God's kingdom brings joy. One of the other responses is weeping. Jesus actually weeps over Jerusalem. As he's bringing his kingdom, he weeps over Jerusalem because they've rejected God's kingdom. They've missed God's rule. They never saw it. They didn't recognize it. They didn't realize it. And then they rejected it. Eugene Peterson says that Jesus weeps when his rule encounters obstacles in the human heart. 
when his rule encounters obstacles in the human heart. You know why? Because as he looked out at Jerusalem, and sometimes he looks out at some of our lives, he realizes that our trajectory ends in tragedy. Think about that. Sometimes, without Christ, our rejection, our trajectory ends in tragedy. When he looked at Jerusalem, and he looked at those who were rejecting God's kingdom, he realized, and he just like laid it out there in the text, their trajectory would end in tragedy. Jesus knows this about Jerusalem. Sometimes he knows it about us. Sometimes he knows it about parts of our world. And you know what? That causes us to weep too. Because when the world around us is on a trajectory of tragedy, we feel that pain. It doesn't mean that we sit over people and say, ha, ha, you're such a loser. You're not following God's kingdom. This is going to end in tragedy for you, buddy. That would be horrible, right? That's not what that is. But it's a real sense of I have this genuine hope for my friends and for my, this family member that just like they're on this trajectory that's going to end in tragedy. And if they could only see that, that Christ could bring rest- restoration and reconciliation and peace and hope here. I wish my neighbors would experience the trajectory of God's kingdom instead of their own. This happens all the time. How many people are weeping right now with what's going on in Ukraine and other parts of the world, but particularly there, right? There's this invasion, and there's a complex reason of why this invasion has come about, but let's be honest. We sit, who doesn't weep and recognize, say, this trajectory ends in tragedy? This trajectory ends in tragedy. It ends in tragedy for the Ukrainian people. It ends in tragedy for the Russian people. What does it feel like for a Russian who doesn't feel up to this and they, they just got their pink slip from Ikea that's left the country? That, that feels tragic. Or family who are over the border in both countries. There's, it's tragic for both. Who doesn't weep for that? But you know what? That happens daily in our lives. When we choose greed over generosity, when we choose pride over peace, when we choose selfishness over flourishing, when we choose hate or fear over love, Christ weeps. And when we see God's kingdom, we often weep around us. Here, here's another response. And this is, I shouldn't smile about it, but it, it's a possible response. It's, it's actually anger. It's anger. Jesus gets angry in the temple. He, this holy anger when he finally gets into the temple after this, this parade, this walk. Because as much as everyone's like freaking out and blessing and singing and whatever, when he gets to the temple, he's like, oh my gosh, this has all gone haywire. It's not good. Jesus enters the temple. He sees a reversal of the purpose of this place. And it disturbs him so much that he just rushes everybody out and overturns some tables and he calls them a den of robbers because they use the temple to manipulate instead of worship and inspire. When Jesus sees that, he's angered by it. There's this holy anger. But, you know, sometimes anger can also be our response when we're exposed. Because when some of these leaders were exposed, they got angry. They didn't like Jesus telling them this. I watched this movie recently. I think it's called Dark Waters. And it's about um, the, uh, the chemical waste that the DuPont company over years just flooded into West, West, um, West Michigan. And um, I think it was West Michigan. Oh, no, West Virginia. And they were just, you know, what they were making and fabricating and everything, they were just dumping chemical waste into the water. And thousands of people over decades got cancer. It was horrible. This lawyer slowly finds out, 
And he slowly starts to discover this. And he works for the firm who sometimes <laughs> is the, the legal counsel for some of these companies. So he's at a party, a posh party with lawyers and this industry. And the CEO of DuPont is over by the cocktail table. So they have a little encounter. And he just starts to ask him some questions, simple questions. It's like, uh, did you know that you know, this and this happened? Did you hear about those cows, like the 115 cows that died? And the CEO, you can just start to see him. Like, he's all happy at this party. You know, he's with this. And then he starts to get angry and angry and angry. And he, and he swears at the guy. And he just, he calls them names. And they just have this horrible encounter. Because when you're exposed to something, you get angry. And sometimes we can get angry when Christ's good rule reveals evil in our hearts and in our actions. And regimes and systems in our world can get angry because they have this, this goal and this trajectory. And then Christ's rule shows them up and says, no, no, this is to you guys are totally off. Sometimes God's kingdom actually ends up making people angry. Because one's agenda and one's ambition can be exposed. And the religious leaders felt exposed, and they felt angered. And this is part of what, Jesus, what got Jesus killed. Seven days later, six days later, he's on the cross. That's how angry some people got. That was their response. And anger can sometimes be that in our response to God's kingdom. But you know what amaz amazes me? I'm going to have the team come up as we move to close soon. At, at some point, many of these people who got angered, many of these people who initially rejected Jesus ended up responding to Jesus after his death and resurrection. When you read of the thousands of people who come to Christ in the book of Acts and in other church documents, many of them, many of them were, were Jews and priests in the religious systems. Many of these people who initially rejected, who initially got angry because Jesus' kingdom showed them who they really were, at some point they actually responded not all but some did and it reminds me of this i think this is a helpful principle for me as i discovered this thinking about this this week and i put this on the screen for us to, to read and listen christ's lordship can often confront us or confront our actions before it captivates our attention think about that for a second christ's lordship can often confront our actions maybe we get angry before it captivates our affection and I've sat with people who've come to know Christ and said, man, when I first discovered Jesus, when I first started following Christ, there were, there were things that were so incongruent in my life. I just, I was mad that Jesus was disturbing that. Sometimes the Lordship of Christ confronts our actions first before it captivates our attention and we fully respond to him. That actually encourages me. I love the idea that some of the people who initially got angered at Jesus' presence in the temple and the announcement of his kingdom down the road became his followers. Yes, it confronted him at first, but later on the road, later down the road, it, they were captivated by him. They were captivated by his truth, by his death and resurrection. So here's my question. How do you respond to Christ's rule in your life? Do you respond to Christ's rule in your life with joy? With weeping? With anger? How do you respond to Christ's rule in your life? What's your response to Christ's open door to your heart and your life? Jesus had this open door into Jerusalem, and he walked in and he declared his kingdom. 
And if he has an open door to us and he walks through and he declares his kingdom in our lives, how do we respond to his rule? He wants to do that in our lives. And here, here's my hope. My hope, and some of you have already experienced this. My hope is that when we see Jesus for who he really is, we respond with joy. When we see Jesus for who he really is, when we see the breadth of God's kingdom, when we see how incredible God's kingdom is, we would respond, that we would respond with joy. This is, that we would say, this is amazing, this is so good, this is just and peaceful, and this is reconciling, and this is forgiving, and this is this. And you just, if we can truly see Jesus for who he is, my hope is that we would respond with joy, and that, that, that the kind of celebration when they laid down the palms and were worshiping and quoting Psalms 118, that, that we could actually say that with our hearts, with full conviction, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord in my life, in my heart, in my circumstances, in my decisions. I want to allow him in fully. And then we gladfully, joyfully submit and follow because we see his lordship as good and just and holy and loving and life-giving. And if you're here today and you've just been learning about Jesus, my question to you is, will you follow him? Will you follow him? Will you take a step and follow him? And, and here's, here's the reason why you can follow him and why you should follow him. Because Jesus is a different kind of king. Jesus is a different kind of king than any other type of authority or rule in our world. Completely different. And when he decided to walk through Jerusalem, not in a military strike, not with a whole bunch of money and bling bling and power, when he walked through Jerusalem saying, guys, go into that village. There's a little mule on the side. Ask the owner if we can borrow it. He's going to say yes. Just tell him the master needs it. And then they take that mule and they put their cloaks over it and Jesus gets hoisted on a mule, not a black stallion, on a mule. And he's just slowly walking through there. And it's like we serve a humble king. We serve a different kind of king. We serve a king who's just and good and loving. And he, he's a paradox because he flips the ways of the world upside down. And he says, this might look counterintuitive to you, but this is the way of God, and it's the best way, and it's the, it's, the, it's the trajectory that does not lead to tragedy. This is why we can and should. And Jesus demonstrated this as he got onto a donkey and walked into Jerusalem. And it's also demonstrated, not just by this day, everyone. Guys, this is like, this is the day that starts the week to the cross. The king... The king who rules and reigns dies on a cross for you and me, for our world. This is why we can and should follow Jesus. He is so different and so real and so good, and he's God's solution for us, for our world. We're going to pray and sing this song as we, we end today. Uh, our prayer team is going to be on the left or right. Wherever you see them, you can head over and, and um pray with them and just ask them to come up at this time if you need prayer for anything i invite you to do that we want to sing uh and just respond in this moment so as we so we take this time to sing slowly as and and then even joyfully um think of those questions think of that question how do you respond to the to the lordship of jesus in your life 
he walked into Jerusalem. He wants to walk into our lives as king. It's the only way to follow him, the only way to trust him. And the trajectory is never tragedy, never. It's always good when we follow him. Let's pray. God, we thank you um, for this beautiful reminder on Palm Sunday. Lord, you became king in your son, through your son, Jesus Christ. Your rule and reign is what the world creation aches for, what our hearts long for. And, and sometimes we respond in anger because we are so caught up, me included, with the ways of the world that we sometimes don't recognize how far off we, could have, we have gone from your ways. But help us, Lord, to see, to see your beauty and your goodness and your justice and what it means to know you and follow you and trust you and say yes to your will in our lives, God. As, it, as your will and your lordship touch every aspect of our lives, every corner of our heart, every, every part of our decisions and relationships, God, we just, I pray, Lord, that you would help us to see the goodness and beauty in that and trust you, that your rule and your reign is good. God, for some today that are listening and are just close to making this step, I pray that as you reveal yourself to them, Lord, they would make a step to follow you, to begin following Jesus, to listen and learn from him, and together join us as a community of Christ followers to learn and grow together and to become part of your family, the body of Christ. God, as we head into this uh, Easter week, this holy week, may every, every morning and throughout the day and evening, Lord, each day, God, may we just point our thoughts to the cross and and prepare ourselves, Lord, to reflect on the trajectory of this week that hits a cross but then goes through a cross to resurrection. So help us, Lord, to enter this week um, just with full openness to the work of your Spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this message helps guide you on your spiritual journey of discovering the life and message of Jesus. We update this podcast weekly, so why not hit subscribe and journey with us? Who are we? Westside Gathering is a local church in the West Island of Montreal. We're a simple community of faith where we want you to feel welcome, even if you're not into church or religion. We meet every Sunday, but you can also find smaller groups, environments, and resources for all ages between Sundays. Find out more at westsidegathering.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Vimeo. We'd love to hear from you. Ask a question, ask for help, or let us know how we can pray for you. If you'd like to contribute financially, just go to westsidegathering.com forward slash giving. Until next time, peace. Peace.